294 of the Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, December 30th. I'm Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, we're about to close 2015 and open up a new year. How you doing? This would be the last episode of the year, wouldn't it? It, it, it definitely will be. Uh, I, I'm not. I have nothing planned for tomorrow. Eno doesn't. You don't. So we're we're gonna cap off the year here. We've got some news to discuss. We've also got a little Christmas treat over the weekend. We got the early uh, NFBC average draft position data. So we're going to yes, dive we into did. that a little bit, talk about some of our favorites and kind of least favorite picks, at least within the top 100 right now. As did a, you see the other Christmas treat that's coming up? No. What, 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 what else have we had? Um, it, it's been un, it hasn't been confirmed by MLB, but it looks like you will now be able to oh, buy yes. favorite out-of-market team stream and not have to pay for the whole thing i did hear about that that's great uh it doesn't apply to me i want to i want all the games but it's a great yeah, it doesn't apply to most of us that are listening to this but <laughs> you know for folks that just want their team baseball as we well know is a regional thing a lot of a lot of people aren't just going to sit down and watch a tampa bay versus miami interleague game if they're not a fan of one of those clubs I would gladly watch that on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, you know, I would watch it on a Friday night, which is supposed to be the, the, the cool night to do things. So obviously not catering toward us, but it is a good step forward. I, it sounds like MLB is finally listening to some of the stuff, uh, you know, around their blackout rules and, and just some of the arcane stuff that they have tied to what is otherwise an amazingly excellent product in MLB.tv. So we'll stay tuned on that and folks uh, you can of course hit us up on twitter at sporer at jason collette we're about in full baseball mode i know i finished off uh, my fantasy football season last week i don't know how far yours went but we're closing the book on football i know your redskins are hitting the playoffs though so you're, you're probably psyched about that but everyone's turning their attention to baseball that actually means, i'm not psyched about it i'm why, not psyched why about not it. why I, not i want them to fail every year so they get a better draft pick and maybe the owner gets out of it because but, i am I, I call myself a disenfranchised Washington fan. I, I understand. Disenfranchised. I understand. So I have to celebrate success. Now, like, I'm super happy they swept the Eagles because I have a few friends that are big Eagles fans, and I love rubbing that crap in their face. You got a um, if they can beat tough. Dallas, if they can beat Dallas this weekend and avoid being swept by Dallas, um, which to this day still annoys me, the only loss they had in their last Super Bowl year was to a Dallas team that had only won one game, and that was the only game they, they won. The, uh, Washington was the one in 15 Yep. Win? Wow. wow. In 91, they were the one in 15. Uh, so, yes, that to this day still annoys me. Uh, so but, yeah, I'm, I'm a disenfranchised fan because I if they if they do this. So despite all of this, I just ha I hate ownership. I hate, I hate, hate ownership. That, that, that and then in football, my season ended a long time ago. But I do have two entries into the uh, into the FanDuel uh, championship this week. And. This is the only fantasy football talk we will have. I think it's really cool that week 17 is actually going to be a real week this week because just about every Everything team has something to play for. Yep. Just about so I don't have to worry about, is this guy going to play a half? And then I love what NFL did. They flex timed it. So the, the Panthers and the Cardinals are both playing in the afternoon. I was actually going to bring that up. Um, They're both playing at four. So now it's because if it would have been one o'clock as the Panthers game was scheduled for, and then the Cardinals at four, the Cardinals could have sat back and waited. Oh, the, the Panthers won. Okay. We're going to roll out. We're going to roll out Neil Lomax and Otis <laughs> Anderson. And, uh, Oh God, who was the receiver? Mike, no, Mike quick was the Eagles. Um, I'm trying to think of one of the receivers that they had. I was thinking had. of Larry Centers, the the sweet fullback okay, back in the day. No, he was he was the fantasy stud, uh, especially in PPR leagues. But exactly. so that I like I like that aspect. So when I saw, I was like, okay, I've got two entries. Awesome. 
which is pretty good for a guy that really doesn't give a crap about fantasy football. I mean, <laughs> so. it, 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 it's hard. It, it's it's just so difficult. It gets more difficult every year, I think, with the injuries. But, um, you know, I made two Super Bowls. I went one and one. Boom. Closed the book on football. Uh, let's talk baseball. We do have a huge trade to discuss. We got a couple signings. Then, like I said, the NFBC data that we'll get into. We got to talk first off about the Aroldis Chapman trade to the Yankees. And, you know, because of the price that was paid, and, and not that we would necessarily want to anyway, we can't divorce this from what took place off the field with Chapman. That definitely lowered his price with the allegations of domestic abuse, plus the fact that we know he fired eight shots in his own garage. So even if anything came back uh, that said he, you know, he didn't lay hands on, on his girlfriend, we still know that he's a lunatic who's firing eight gunshots. So, you know, his – his off the field behavior is reprehensible and um, the Yankees, honestly, they, 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 they parlayed that into an advantage, which is a little gross to say. I, I, I fully understand that, but it is the, it is the state of what happened. They dealt a, a package of prospects, none of which uh, is a top 100 prospect or expected to be Eric Jagailo, rookie Davis, Caleb Cotham. Those are the names uh, that, that you might, have some familiarity with, particularly if you follow the Yankees for Aroldis Chapman. Um, and I think there was one other player in the deal. I don't, Oh, Tony Renda was the fourth player that went back to the, to the Reds. Again, nobody that uh, is overwhelmingly exciting. If they do this in the middle of, of July, they get a haul. You probably on a par with the, with the Ken Giles deal, even with only a year and a half of Chapman. Yep. There's also the added fact here that if he is, if he does get a suspension and it's a, a certain amount of time, I believe 45 or 46 days, then all of a sudden you're looking at the Yankees have him for next year. So there's still a lot of moving pieces here that need to be settled. But right now, let's talk about the on the field because they now set up a, a bullpen of Aroldis Chapman, Andrew Miller, and Dylan Betances. It brings another super stud into the AL, but it also takes one away. So kind of status quo there. In terms of closers in the National League, though, it's a massive hit. You're talking about the number one, number two at the worst guy um, in, in all of baseball as far as closers go. Now being removed from the NL, it's just barren over there in the National well, League. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, you know, in the National League, because that's the, that's the latest article I wrote at Rotowire, 125 saves have, have left the National League in the past month between – between Giles, between K-Rod, between Kimbrell and, and Chapman, 125 that's saves have gone. Filthy. The only thing that's come back, if I calculated correctly, is Chad Qualls. Uh, if if <laughs> Chad Qualls, uh, if you fact, if you think he's the favorite to be the closer in Colorado, which it really smells like a committee anyhow. Yeah. Um, because they you know they paid Jason Mott money, and that's that's going to be a disaster. That, uh, that's you know, fly, heavy fly ball pitcher in Colorado on a multi-year deal. I think he got two years, eight million. Okay. Um, so yeah, that like, but to your earlier point, this, all of this could have been avoided if they had done this in July, there was absolutely no reason for them to hold on to Chapman, uh, when they did at the trade deadline, the Reds were not in contention back then. Uh, yeah, they could have traded him any point before July. Well, you never want to get to a point where you're in the final, you're trying to trade a guy in his walk year. Exactly. I mean, everybody, everybody wants to hold on to the. Oh, maybe I can get Cliff Lee or Justin Smoke for Cliff Lee, that kind of deal. That's the rarity. But look how that even played out exactly uh, for that. Texas. But it's a prospect. But, you never know. Yeah, and the thing is, Chapman, Cliff Lee clearly made the impact in that pennant race moving forward when he did that for Texas. Mm -hmm. Chapman, no closer can do that for a baseball team. 
you can't. There's just not the amount, not the number of impact because you look at most of the time these guys come in, and it's you know a three-run lead, a two-run lead, it's one inning of work, blah blah blah. You just don't get the impact. Teams teams are too smart these days. They're not going to give up that kind of level prospect uh, for this. And then so you've got that bit of leverage was gone, and then you've got him being a complete douchebag off the field uh, with everything and. It, it, his value was in the toilet. Now, you know, where do you go and look at a landing spot? Well, New York just dealt with one of the worst PR situations last year and did it very well with A-Rod. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of the things that they, they ex- except for, you know, I, there were people whining about him coming to camp too early. You remember those chodes? Uh, uh, so, yeah. That, you know, that yeah, that, that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I thought one of the more brilliant tweets I saw this week is, you know, Yankee fans uh, are, are really all set for this because they've already rationalized Greg Hardy. So it's real easy for them to deal with uh, with uh, Roldis Chapman, considering you know a lot of the people I know that are Yankee fans also happen to be Cowboy fans. It's gonna, weird I, how that works. I was going to say, for those that aren't following the link, it, it, it's a it's a kind of a, a really detailed blast that not only uh, Yankee, their front runner fans, not all of them, obviously, have plenty that live in New York, but, you know, these these kind of. All around the country, Yankee fans also like the the Cowboys. Probably still like the Lakers. What an interesting trio! But you know that that is kind of the comp. There is if you rash if you rationalize uh, being able to root for for Greg Hardy. I don't know how you do it, but you know there, there's just no pretty way around it. He's a scumbag. It, it, it's a terrible. I, I can't. I can't let this just be a, a, a one-time thing. Like, you don't fire eight shots like that. You don't get accused of domestic violence, and, ah, he, he's all right. It was, it was a mistake. The A-Rod stuff, that's PEDs. I couldn't, I couldn't give a crap less about that. I, I couldn't, c- could not possibly care less that he used, even that he lied. I can kind of move on from that. This, it's, it's tougher. But Brian Cashman has suggested that the intent is to keep all three of these guys. So let's talk about an on-field impact here. How devastating is that? Because honestly, and this is no, it's not even a slam to the KC bullpen, but it almost puts the KC KC bullpen to shame, which seems impossible to do. But when you've got Chapman, Miller, Batances, what are you doing from the sixth inning on? Nothing, right? Yeah, it's really tough if, if they hold on to three of them. If you look at it, you know, if, if I'm Brian Cashman, it makes a lot of sense for me to try to trade Andrew Miller at his peak value because you got him. You got him for what? Next to nothing. I mean, he was not he didn't cost a lot for what he's done. Andrew Miller, a four year, what, thirty six million dollar deal, nine million bucks for this kind of elite closer. And here's the thing, though. I don't think that they have to do it. Remember when Chapman was maybe going to be traded uh, to the Dodgers with right. Kenley Jansen uh, being there. And this was obviously when all the domestic abuse stuff came out. That that trade was nixed, and when, but everyone was saying before that, um, how's this going to work with Jansen and Chapman? I don't think it's as big of a deal in New York. I feel like both Andrew Miller and Dylan Batanzas. Batanzas has already done it. He already, he's already been there saying, listen, I don't have to close. I can go be a super right. stud in the seventh and eighth. Miller is at least saying the right thing, saying, listen. I'm going to be here for the team, whatever they want me to do. He's only closed one year. It's not like he's some five-year established closer like somebody like Jansen. So you'd certainly understand it more when Jansen's kind of maybe getting ticked saying, hey, I kind of have this job. I I know what I'm doing with it. What's going on? Miller, Batances, they're not so much, but I agree with you. I think Miller's the right one to trade. He's going to be 31. He's had injury issues. He's at the peak of his value. And again, 
circling back to that Gilesian kind of deal, I think they could get a high impact deal. They're looking for young starting pitching. If they could get somebody who, you know, maybe in that Vincent Velasquez mold, uh, you could kind of understand it. And, and so we'll, we'll see what they do with this. Either way, though, even if they deal Miller, you're still talking about a Batances Chapman sort of uh, one-two punch there with Chase and Shreve. You know, I, I, I don't want to slight the rest of their bullpen. bullpen. They have some other guys there, but it's these studs at the front that are really devastating, or at the back end, rather, that are really devastating for them. So AL closer stays really hot. NL takes another hit. Adjust accordingly yep. in your only leagues. I mean, it just if we the only issue I have with it is right now, if we thought this, if we thought last March, I mean, let's think about it. The people that are really affected by this right now are the the guys that have Andrew Miller on the cheap Absolutely. because most people do. I mean, yes, I remember right. I got him for what five bucks in Tout Wars, or, or it was dirt cheap for me in Tout Wars because everybody paid the money on Batances. and I was like, well, Myself hell, I'll it. I'll draft Andrew Miller. Uh, because it was just one of these things where I looked, it wasn't because I thought, I just said, you know, he's going to get strikeouts. He'll, he'll pitch late innings to see what happens. And it you know, worked out well for me, traded him. So that's where it stinks. But if you thought last March, it was cloudy because it was Miller versus Batances. Now you add a third card into that mix. I think, yeah. And Batances, because of what you said, he's already said, but you clearly have to put him at the bottom. So now yep. it's Batances or Chapman. I mean, uh, Miller or Chapman. And then if Miller gets traded, then it makes it really crystal clear. But right now, uh, you know, it'll be nice to see if that situation resolves itself because that's going to either present a nice value for somebody at draft time or uh, it's going to be frustrating. One good thing is that even if you did get Miller on the cheap, you're planning to keep him. You're not going to get the saves maybe. You can still keep him at that low price because even if he just does what he did last year with, you know, five saves here and there or something like that, he's still going to comp- – easily earn whatever you've got him for because basically just look at his 2015 or excuse me his 2014 where he did all of that excellent stuff with one save he was still a a double digit value kind of player Andrew Miller was so it's not like you necessarily have to get rid of him but if you're talking like a 10 team league it's a little bit tougher to kind of keep him um, you know for that five dollars uh, to get a you know twelve thirteen dollar kind of value, so it definitely clouds that up. We'll see, Brian Cashman. You know, GMs. How many times have they said one thing and, and done another in short order? He says right now that the intent is to keep all three, but that's where he buys himself kind of the the leeway of quote unquote, you know not lying. He said you know our intent was to keep them, but then I got bowled over by this trade and I ended up trading Miller. So I think by the way of the three, he's the one most likely to be traded. Uh, got the deal, still has three years left, is 31, has had injury issues. He would be the one that gets moved. Chapman and Batances would then be the devastating one-two punch at the back end. All right, let's yes. move on to a few signings here. They're kind of these mid-tier signings, uh, not, nothing that's overwhelming, but still needs to be discussed, kind of alter their value a little bit. Let's start with Daniel Murphy signing a deal out in Washington. So he stays in the division, but heads over to the rival. That's kind of an interesting situation in itself. He gets a three-year, $37.5 million deal. We knew he wasn't going to go back to the Mets once they got Neil Walker. Um, And in in case you held held out maybe a shred of hope, then it was really put in the coffin once they got Asdrubal Cabrera. So now Daniel Murphy, as a, a Washington national what do you think of that move? 
Um, obviously, you know, staying within it's a, it's a stable skill set. If, if anything, last year he even made more contact, which is really scary because he was already a really good contact hitter. Yeah. And then last year he made even more contact and but hit with a career best ISO. You know, you look at a 168 ISO when his uh, his now his career average is 135, but he had never been above one. He hadn't been above 160 since back in 2009. Wow. So he goes. But if you look at it, it's a very stable skill set. Walks. You know, six to seven percent of the time, his contact rate was always in the high 80s. Last year, it was in the low 90s. Uh, and then again, hit with more power. The annoying thing with him, though, is he still doesn't get on base enough. I no, mean, really the on base doesn't. percentages is his his highest was back in 2011, 362. But then it's been below. It's been 332 or lower each of the past four seasons. Imagine if he could just mix in some more walks there. I, I, I understand that, you know, the contact is one of the, maybe one of the trade-offs for, uh, you know, having a lower walk rate there. He's just going to hit the ball instead. But I feel like if he could alter just a little bit, you know, you could still be an 85% contact rate kind of guy. And if you had that 10% walk rate and now you're getting on base at like a 350 clip, I really think it could take his value even another level. Right now he's a, he's a good, you know, not great player. Could really jump up. And, and be better, uh, maybe like a 120 WRC plus kind of guy with a better OBP. So with Murphy in Washington, you think he's going to be batting near the top of the order or more of that uh, bottom third to really kind of kind of fatten up the back end of the lineup in a six, seven, eight position? Where do you where do you see him batting if you're projecting the Washington Nationals lineup today? Uh, projecting him today, I think he's going to end up hitting high just okay. because of them. I mean, they they had Escobar hitting. I believe they had Escobar hitting up high in that lineup with his unusual year. Uh, And but if you looked out, who are you going to replace him with? I mean, Michael Taylor maybe if if Michael Taylor gets some more discipline. But if you look at their current lineup right now, I don't see anybody you move down from the bottom half to put in the top half in place of Murphy. I think that's a great point and probably the best point that that. that for putting him up there because roster resource has him second right now behind Anthony Rendon and just ahead of Bryce Harper. Harper. I love that spot. All of a sudden you're talking, um, if he kind of does what, what he's been doing these last few years, even with the kind of 325, 330 OBP, I think he could score 95 runs, which would be a career mm-hmm. high, something like that. That would be impressive. So Murphy's somebody I'll have on my list. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at him. I, I don't, go out trying to acquire him but even after the big whole you know uh babe murphy in the playoff sort of deal all that sort of stuff his his uh draft price it's not going to be high because he just doesn't get valued super high in the market so i'm not that worried about him he has second third base eligibility could get first base in season played 17 games there last year we'll see what happens first base in washington is not stable ryan zimmerman you know and right now he's the 12th based on the adp data so far he is the 12th 12th second baseman off and the board so you know that's not expensive so i'm, I'm okay oh. with that so uh he's somebody i'll take a look at but i'm not dying to to acquire daniel murphy this next guy i'm not really dying to acquire him either but he probably improved his value just by going to this team because they're a high quality team mike leak signs a deal with the cardinals uh, they've been losing out on guys left and right, some of these big ticket guys, and getting quite upset about it, at least their fans were. Actually, the whole team was. Um, never seen a team get so sad about losing guys and then pretend like they didn't care. But uh, Mike Leake gets a five-year deal, five years, 80 mil, full no-trade clause. Also has a mutual option that can uh, get 13 extra mil at the end there. 
I'm okay with the deal. Uh, you know, he kind of is what he is, a solid you know, innings eater type, you know, that workhorse, all, all those kind of cliches that you want to use. He fits them. You can get 190-plus innings. That's been where he's been at the last three years. He's kind of building his way up to that in his first three seasons. But now these days, you can expect 190 to 200 innings. Uh, doesn't walk too many guys. Gives up a few too many homers. Doesn't have a great strikeout rate, which kind of puts him in that average area. In fact, he's kind of got this every other year sort of thing with his good years. Just going by ERA plus 96, 102, 90, 112, 99, 106. So the good isn't even that great. The bad isn't even that bad. He's just kind of a solid league average dude. Would not be surprised if uh, you know he put up another 200 innings of a mid three ZRA with with St. Louis in 2016, how do you value Mike Leake uh, with the Cardinals? Uh, here's the, here's the thing. I made this joke on Twitter when this deal happened. Mike Leake's deal is the deal that when a when a GM tells a young pitcher, "Hey, dude, you should probably sign this pre agency deal because you never know what the future is going to be like." But like, screw you, dude. Mike Leake just got 80 million at 28 years old. Yep. Uh, so yeah. Mike Leake to me is the right-handed Mark Burley. That's 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 what he, strong. That's what he is. Because if you look at over the last, uh, I, I think I ran a, a tweet in over the last four seasons, Mark Burley is the only starting pitcher with a lower strikeout rate than Mike Leake. And now you know Mike Leake is uh, thankfully he's staying in the National League, which exactly. helps. But I mean, that is, so at least he's go, going that direction. But you know, last year was a career best, six, a very nice 6.9 K9 for him uh, last year. But that's that his career high. Ago. That was 14. Oh, far as I was 14. I, yeah, I'm seeing the great number. I take that back. So he, he had that one-year bump in strikeout right now. He's back down to 5.6, which to me in mixed league is nearly – I mean, this is end-game material in a mixed league. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's close to unusable in a 10-team league. You can stream him. Even in a twelve, this is this is dollar days. Yeah, you're, you're eleven you're wins. Right. I mean, he had the fourteen wins one time, but double digit wins uh, is to happen five of the you know one two three four four of the last five years. Uh, but the rate, it's not like the ratios are that great either. I mean, his ERA has been in the mid threes. The whip has been the all solid. over the place. The, the whip. Well, I mean, one thirty. You have the range. Of, you have a range of one sixteen to one thirty five. So let's let's put him at a category and a half pitcher. Yeah, it, it's not great. Now, the one thing that could help, St. Louis ballpark, definitely a better place to pitch than the Reds ballpark. Maybe you could start slicing into that home run rate a little bit for Leak. And if all of a sudden you can shave off some of the homers and get his 1.1 career rate down to even like a .8, which isn't great, but it, but it's not bad, then maybe we can get closer to the 337 ERA that we saw from him in 2013. Again, we're on the edges uh, of getting value out of Leak. He's not somebody you should be chasing. His name is much bigger than his value. I'm not saying he's a huge name, but people kind of know Mike Leak. He's been around for a long time. He made it to the majors without even going to the minors. Really, you know, he's a really impressive real-life player. There, you know, I, I, you got to be pretty happy with a guy who can go out there, take his 30 turns uh, for six straight years coming straight out of uh, the draft. Again, didn't even have to go to the minors. So I, I, give him, I give him the hat tip for the real life aspect, but for fantasy, I'm just not that interested. So let's he's part laid, He's parlayed 9.7 wins above replacement over his career in $80 million. It, Kudos. It, it's, it's taken that 30 turns the last four years, 30, 31, 33, 30. Teams value that 
us on the fantasy realm, we don't have to value it nearly as much because we don't have to get through a season uh, with a certain amount of guys. We can just hit the waiver wire and get the. Next if I see game. one more, if I see one more tweet about him and and his ability to hit the ball, <laughs> as if, I'm sorry as if that uh, t- turns it for him. Well, I mean, if you look at his numbers, a lot of his production last year, early. It yeah. was early in his career. I mean, he's the last couple of years he's been god awful at the plate. It's, it's yes, he had two, he's at two yeah. home runs. He's at two home runs. But if you look at just batting average, 295, 190, 176, 116 last year. You know, a lot of his stuff was front loaded. His couple of his first couple of years, he had that he hit 333 out of the gate as a rookie. Then he hit 200. Then he hit 295. But he's been progressively worse. You can use any measure you want to. Uh, you know, his wins above his weighted runs created plus last year was minus 13. His, his weighted on base average is 153. I mean, that's like Rene Rivera territory and Benji uh, uh, and Jose Molina, the Rays catchers of, of late. Uh, but yeah, no, this does. That's not a factor. I saw people say, oh, yeah, no. he's a good hitter. No, he's not. He runs into a ball every now and then. I, I, Madison Baumgartner, Clayton Kershaw, Zach, Zach Kinky, Travis yeah. Wood. Those are good hitting pitchers. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right. That's and I last think time you're gonna hear me, that's the last time you're going to hear me give pitching uh, pitchers credit for being hitters. <laughs> well, I think people wanted to to add it into the Grinky deal a little bit. And so I think that's carryover that, hey, let's look at it for leak, too. But you're 100 percent right. It was built off of some good work early and now a few homers these last couple years that kind of maybe are sticking in people's mind. But last year he was utterly brutal. Uh, even amongst pitchers, like you said, with that uh, minus whatever WRC plus, not good. That he was when I looked at it, he was tenth overall, even with that crappy ass line. He oh, was he was. Tenth. Well, okay, yes. okay, okay, okay. That's how bad. That's, that's how, how bad, bad pitching hitters are. Um, get on the get on the, the the force or whatever it's called now. The the resistance, right? <laughs> yes. Hopefully, I'm not spoiling this for anybody, but get on the side of the resistance. Leave the first order. Let's let's move on to what I think is a pretty sneaky good deal. They got him for nothing. The Pirates signed John Jay so for two year eight million dollar deal. I don't know, man. I really like this deal. I understand that he's probably a better fit in the American League where he can DH. Um, not necessarily because he can't play any positions. I think he could fake first base. Uh, he, he was he wasn't great in the outfield, but. You wouldn't die if he was out. They're not going to put him in the outfield. They don't have to. They have a great outfield in Pittsburgh. But they can sneak him at first base. The problem is I don't necessarily want him on the field because he's so fragile. You know, we thought last year this is going to be a great guy to get as your second catcher because he's going to be a non-catching catcher. He was eligible at catcher, but he wasn't going to suit up at all uh, for the race. And he gets hurt on the very first game of the year, gets on base, automatically gets hurt or, or immediately gets hurt going into second. Stupid J.J. Hardy leg dropped him. Hardy leg dropped him, boom, smashed him, only plays 70 games. So injuries are a major thing with Jaso, and honestly, that's why he came so so cheaply. But you look at the bat, there's really no denying that it's a quality bat. And the way first base has been going for the Pirates, they've moved on from Pedro Alvarez. This looks like a solid fit, at least on the strong side of the platoon. Again, dirt cheap. I like the move in real life quite a bit. I'm still... Uh, eyeing him as a late NL guy, um, NL only kind of guy, not necessarily a mixed league play because he no longer has that catcher eligibility. So DH got no only, eligibility. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm no saying. Eligibility. DH only, the bat isn't quite good enough to be that excited. But in an NL only, if I get to the end and there's nobody that really jumps out at me, 
I will slot him in, especially in an OBP league, because that's one thing that's always been prime for Jay. So he has a 361 career OBP, which is 98 points higher than his batting average. What do you think of Jay? So I know somebody he's somebody that you have a lot of uh, familiarity with, having been a Ray for several years, including last year. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, if I'm, I would imagine the conversation be a lot like Moneyball. It's not that hard. It's not that hard, Tell John. Wash. Tell wash. It's, uh, it's, it's incredibly hard. hard. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. They want Jason to play first base. I believe he has all of two innings of experience at first base in his career. Uh, but, and, he can, and he can occupy left field, as he did for the Rays a little bit last year. So, But when you look at when you look at Pittsburgh, one of the things that really hurt them last year was the lack of guys getting on base. Yes. I mean, you had in 2014, you had Josh Harrison pulling that out of his ass <laughs> and having that bit here. But they don't have they didn't have and Marte helped last year. But you need to have that one two thump to set up McCutcheon. Yep. You put Jay So against right handed pitching. You put Jay So either lead him off or hit him second. 100%. I don't care what you want to do. But you need to maximize his one good skill which is getting on base. That's what he does. And he's actually a good base runner. doesn't show up in the stolen base tuddles, but he's a good base runner as well. That hair, uh, so though, that's, that put him up top, you set him up. Oh, the hair's atrocious. Um, but you put him up top in a lineup and that's what you let him do. Uh, you have to, if you, if you have daily lineups, you have to watch him because he cannot hit lefties at all, nope. at all period. It's just useless. Yeah, but you leave him in there. If you if you're a weekly guy, you just have to see what the starters are. If there's only two left-handers, you eat it, and he, he plays four or five days a week, uh, depending on how many games are being played by the team that week. Um, but you have if he's not going to be in the top two spots of that lineup, I don't want him. Uh, the the one good thing about him is getting back to the no eligibility thing. In a national league, if you're in an auction. You could throw them out kind of early because people don't like to tie up the utility spot. No, they're, they're terrified. Like that flexibility. So you'd be like, hey, John Jay, so two bucks. Yeah, just take them for a, even a buck, I think you could say. Because honestly, well, if you, and you say a buck, some people are going to say two just because. Just just to get you. You're right. But so, in my so if you know you, if you look at him and you value him, let's say $5 in whatever projection set you're using or whatever, if you think he's a $5 player, you can start at two. Somebody says three, then you go to five. If somebody says six, okay, he's yours. And by the way, you just lost your utility spot. So you can, there's some strategy to be played in the auction format, which again is why I love the auction format. Exactly. So you can do that, and especially in NL, because a lot of people, you know, in the AL, you're like, okay, fine. I got David Ortiz, whatever, uh, you know, those kind of things. But in the NL format, you can play around, use the strategy and you know, get the guy you want. Uh, and as long as he can stay healthy, and that's always a big if for him, but uh, there's a potential for a lot of runs scored for him if he hits high in that lineup. A lot of runs scored. OBP, he's a gem, as I mentioned. Don't forget about John Jay. So, and another thing, you know, we mentioned the the how regional baseball is. If you play in an NL only league, there's a chance, at least in my this is my experience. I play in an NL only league where the, a lot of the guys don't know the AL. They don't follow it. They're they're an NL team. That's what they follow. They might not even really be that familiar with Jayso because he's a, he's done all of his work in the American League with Oakland, Tampa Bay, and Seattle. So that's another way you could probably get him cheap. I'll tell you what, I, I used him a ton as a catcher in DFS last year because he was showing up at, as catcher there. Oh, yeah. And he, he put up points. And that's the thing with this guy. He rarely has those zero days. You'll at least get a few points out of him. So I also like him in the daily fantasy landscape. Jayso, solid guy. Totally agree with you. Needs to be near the top of the lineup to really maximize his value. 
two more small deals here that could have some impact. I've always liked this guy, at least in terms of his ability to kind of crush the ball. He seemed to kind of get back on track last year when he rejoined a former team. Uh, that's Mike Napoli. When he got back with Texas, he really got back on track. Now he's going to join Cleveland, I, I think, on a one-year deal. I'm pulling it up here to get the exact figure. I think it was one eight. Yep, it is a, it is a one uh, eight, a one seven deal with a chance to get three million more based on incentives. Thirty four year old. The the report suggests that he's going to play first base from the jump. What do you think of Mike Napoli as a Cleveland Indian? I mean, he he did kill it for the Rangers. I mean, oh, it was it was limited right playing back on time, track. Absolutely, it was right. Yeah, he absolutely killed it for them. Uh, whereas, you know, he was god awful for the uh, for the Red Sox. Despite you remember, he was having the offseason surgery to clear yeah, a sne- uh, to clear up a sleep apnea. Pumping that oh, up. Oh, this is going to be great. And here's the thing: when you look at when you look at what was happening at Boston. Yeah, if you look at the the other career things, you know the walk rate was right in line with where it was the previous seasons. Um, the contact rate was actually better than where it had been in previous seasons, but the power wasn't. And and that really, you know, if if he was sacrificing contact for power, you know, at this stage of your career, dude, turn it around. You want it the other way around. Exactly. That's not what we, well, that's not what we were looking for because he wasn't hitting the ball as far as home run to fly ball ratio was 15 percent. While that's high for other dudes. That that's the lowest rate he's had since 2007 in his career. Yeah, this has always been a guy who's been you know the upper teens, low 20s for his home run to fly ball ratio, and all of a sudden the ball wasn't going as far. Uh, and then you have to worry about at this stage of his career because he is 34 years old. You know, are the old man skills starting to set in where the ball's just not going to fly as far for him? But yeah, when he was with Texas, this wasn't much of a problem. Uh, in Texas, he, he was kind of right back, to, as we said earlier, right back to where he was when we liked him uh, for the Angels. So uh, Cleveland, I mean, it's not an ideal ballpark fit. We, you know, we saw it feels like this feels like the same kind of conversation we were having about Brandon Moss. When he yes. was going there, like, oh, this is going to be good. Brandon Moss has got the – and it just didn't pan out for Brandon Moss. I'm hoping this isn't another Brandon Moss situation because, you know, I, I, I paid the price on that one too. Did uh, I did have Napoli. I did roster Napoli last year in uh, Tout Wars. It was an OVP league. I think I remember paying 17 bucks for him uh, just because of the talent pool that was available at the time. And, again, an OVP league in a season where he was coming off uh, back-to-back 360 and 370 OBPs. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I didn't have a problem paying that. And then 324, like, it, even in a bad year, he pulled off a 324 BP. Yeah, I, I, I think he'll be all right. Uh, I think you're, you're alluding to Brandon Moss is wise. So kind of keep that in mind. Being 34, we talk about it a lot. Once you get to the mid-30s, there doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a, a gradual decline. It can just happen. So be careful there. But the price that you're going to pay for a Mike Napoli, it, it won't be 17 again at that draft table. So you 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 are taking on less risk because you're not paying as much. And that makes Mike Napoli intriguing to me. The last one before we get into the NFBC talk is Henderson Alvarez over to Oakland. That was officially taken care of. We'd heard about it um, a while back, but it's officially signed now. I'm trying to find the the money on that one as well. It is $4.25 million guaranteed, and he can earn up to $1.6 worth of incentives in his one-year deal. Folks, you'll remember Henderson Alvarez dealing with a lot of shoulder issues, if I if I recall correctly, yep. and really just ate his entire season. Well, not his entire season. He pitched 22 innings, so can't say that, but 
for all intents and purposes, it ate his entire season because he was brutal in those four starts and and didn't pitch again the rest of the year. Actually had two starts in April, missed a month, came back, two more starts, two more bad starts, realized it wasn't working, done for the year. Standard issue kind of injury gamble for a team. You're not surprised when a team like Oakland is doing it. In fact, you're intrigued by it, or at least I am. Maybe I have a bias toward them. But I I, I am intrigued by these moves, not necessarily for some Billy Bean fandom, but because of the park uh, setup always is intriguing. Even if you're not a fly ball guy, I like it because the fly balls that you do have, um, and this is the case for Alvarez. He's a heavy ground ball guy, really keeps the ball down. But the fly balls that he does have – well, they're going to be less inclined to leave the yard now, too. So you do like that. This guy, Alvarez, doesn't strike anybody out, though. So in, in the environment that we're in today, it's really hard for him to be super valuable because of how few strikeouts he has. But in 2014, he popped 187 innings of a 265 ERA, which really intrigued some folks, um, even though I think it was a bit fraudulent, as a 358 FIP seems to allude to. But... I'm still a little bit intrigued by this. This is a dollar day kind of thing. Even with the poor strikeouts, I think it's so cheap that maybe you take a look in, in super deep leagues. Any love for Henderson Alvarez in Oakland for you? No. Okay. That's totally <laughs> no. fair. Joe Sheehan's going to I be mean, no, the strikeout rate, I mean, his his career strikeout rate is uh, 13%. I'm, I'm going to discount. I'm going to take out last year. Okay. So let's say, you know, let's say he's a five, a five and a half at best. All right, the Blue Jay, the, the one year he did pitch in the American League full-time, his strikeout rate was 3.8. That was early in his career. I'm going to forgive him for that. But if he pitches 162 innings, I almost guarantee he's going to have the lowest K-9 in the American League. I think that's what, fair. You know, that's so, so All right, so he'll, he's going to have the lowest K-9 in the American League. So then we look at where else can he help you? Can he help you in whip? Well, he has in the past. In other years, as you mentioned, he's he's helped you in whip. He's had a, uh, a 124 and a 114 in two of in two seasons. He's pitched more than 100 innings, so he's helped there. Then you look at, okay, this is a heavy ground ball pitcher. Who does he have defensively behind him? Marcus at Sidian, first base. Dude. Well, at first base, he's got Yonder Alonso, so there's fall down range. At second base, he has Jed Lowry, bad defender. At shortstop, Marcus Simeon, who can't throw. And at third base, Danny Valencia, bad defender. Uh, there's a lot of red flags here for me. Now you sold a me. lot. You sold me. I'm out. I'm serious. You, you completely sold me with the offensive piece or with the defensive piece there because, as I mentioned, he's a heavy ground ball guy, 55% for his career. Uh, those guys are terrible. No, I'm, 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 I am actually out even in the deep leagues. Not, not worth a dollar. Sorry, Joe Sheehan. I, I can't even, I can't, yeah, I, I was going to say, I can't even nominate him in tout wars for $1. So Joe Sheehan will pay two. Cause you'll probably stick me with him. Exactly. Let, let Joe <laughs> do that and keep him for a dollar. You're a hundred percent, right? I got to see something to, to get any interest here. And again, we talked about it with leak. It's even it's an even bigger issue here. The strikeouts are just so low in today's environment that he's tough to roster. And again, I mentioned this a lot with the guy you invoked for leak, Mark Burley. It's one thing, um, you know, if you don't play in an innings cap league, but if you do play in an innings cap league, it becomes basically a K per nine. And guys like leak. Burley and even Alvarez, they actually hurt you if they're not uh, if they're not putting up a 2.65 ERA. They basically have to be putting up some miraculous ERA to give you any value. So okay, I agree with you. I flipped on that. I'm and, not and we love these it. guys because we know they listen to it. But yeah, you know, I guarantee that Henderson Alvarez is going to end up on Laura Michaels team anyhow. So Joe, don't worry about it. <laughs> that they can get in a bidding war for him. You and I will be <laughs> sitting on the sidelines. 
All right, Jason, let's go ahead and talk some early NFBC average draft position. I was clicking along, looking at things over the weekend, and uh, I went to the stats website, stats.com, that usually houses these to look at last year's. I was looking up somebody's value, and I noticed, wait a minute, this has Carlos Correa in the first round. This must be 2016 value, and in fact, it is. Speculation suggests, uh, based on something that Greg Ambrose has posted over at Baseball HQ, looking at this same data, that it's about 9 to 10 drafts worth of stuff. I saw a couple yeah, people on in the comments yeah they mentioned to me that's probably nine maybe as many as 12 drafts so it's not a huge sample but it's a sample nonetheless and it's fun to start looking early so but if you also think about who are the types of people that are doing mock drafts in december nerds like me thank you it's because it's not your it's not the average joe so that, that's sitting around going oh what am i going to do while watching this football game hey let me do a fantasy baseball mock draft no well, not only that it's the, it's the diehards it's the people that spend you know that 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 write a check off for five thousand dollars to to greg and, and tom and say here take my money like you do every year but they make money but those are the types of people that are doing this this time of year at least I, that's what i would think no, because you're, you're right i've only i've only done one mock draft uh and that was the one that we uh, the fantasy four one one uh draft yeah, that's I'm, it I'm so done, you know other people I've done three. Okay. But uh, no, you make a great point. Not only that, but we might not even, we probably shouldn't even be calling it mock draft because I think these are real drafts. So they may be. Not only is it the serious diehards that are getting in here, but they're, they are already putting up their money. So that's a great point here. Um, and if you're worried about some guys' values, you can maybe bump them down a little bit in your league if you know that they won't go as hard on on whatever the case may be. You know your league. Everyone knows their leagues uh, better than, than kind of the outside world. So keep that in mind as well. But we want to give a couple favorites and a couple guys that were not so high on their value within the top 100. And I'll put a link to the top 100 within the show notes so that you can go follow along yourself and maybe leave in the comments the guys that you like or dislike. So we'll start with the favorites. We'll start positive. I'll give you well, – I, I forgot. I, I need to clarify something. As I, I um, misread the homework assignment, uh -oh. I did top 50. Oh, that, that's, that's completely fine because honestly okay. <laughs> uh, mine actually all wound up pretty close to the top. I, we could say it was a top 70 because I don't have anybody lower than 68 anyway, so don't even sweat it. Let's start with favorites. So I'm going to give you first shot here. Give me your, give me your top favorite uh, whose draft position that you're liking on this early data. And I'm going to come back to where I was last year. I, probably the same guy in the same points, Brett Gardner. Hey, that's Brett your Gardner boy. Currently He's currently 142 in his, in his ADP. Brett Gardner is the 37th outfielder off the list right now. He is going behind guys like David Peralta, Shinshu Chu, Chris Davis, Hunter Pence, Christian Yelich. What? Cole Calhoun. What? Uh, you know, those – Ben Revere is up there. Uh, it, these are the things – Gardner, he had the numbers last year. He, his second half was – atrocious because brutal, yeah. his wrist is gone. I mean, for, we, I think we've talked about this on, you know, he got the wrist injury early, got hit on it a couple of times, maxed out his cortisone shots, then couldn't have him anymore and just limped through the rest of the season yet still put up a pretty decent, uh, pretty good line for the overall year. If the wrist is hundred percent healthy and he can pick up where he left off, he has historically been a stronger first half than second half player, but I'm going to take Brett Gardner all day long as a top 30 outfielder. If he's going to be 37th, uh, I like him for every reason. I liked him last year, even though you know he was part of the reason why I didn't finish in the top three in Tout Wars last year. I like some of those guys that are going ahead of him that you named, namely Chu. I like David Peralta. Um, 
But th there are some some guys that are going ahead of him where you're like, hmm, the Ben Revere one that you mentioned. Ben Revere is 10 uh, outfield spots ahead of him. He's the 27th outfielder. Right, how, about, how about a guy like Michael Brantley? You know, he's he's got the, the shoulder issue that he had surgery and, on. And we don't he, really know. Not, uh, yeah, and he may not be ready to start the season. He's currently the 24th outfielder, 83rd overall ADP. And you and I both love Michael Brantley, but we also both know what guys coming off shoulder issues have had trouble doing during that season. And yeah, to me, that's a, that's one of the, I mean, it's not down because I, I have other picks that I liked that I hate even worse than this, but Michael Brantley in the top hundred is really risky for me. I, I'm with you hundred percent on Brantley. I absolutely love him and his skill set but that shoulder is scary and we're right now even coming into draft season when we start getting february and march when we're doing all of our real drafts i don't think we're going to have a, a very clear picture of what it's going to be for him in terms of getting on the field i've heard some people be aggressive and say you know what he's actually going to be ready for opening day i've read another report that says you know what it could actually be july august what so it's pretty wide uh scope here of what could happen with brantley so that's a that's an interesting name there that is in the top 100 um that i'm, I'm a little bit nervous on somebody that i do like though my favorite my, my top uh my top favorite here is xander bogart's going 68th overall as the fifth shortstop I'm really in on him because I, I think there's going to be a big jump in the power. I look at last year as a situation. The power wasn't there at all. It looks to me, at least from, from observation of not only the stat line but watching a, a, a bunch of his games, was that he was making a concerted effort to kind of hone his contact ability. Can I be a big league hitter here, make steady contact, get hits to the opposite field, and, and you know, just – just pepper the ball all over the field. Cut the strikeout rate from 23% to 15%. Batting average jump from 240 to 320. Well, it did cost him the power. In 2016, though, I think Bogarts is going to incorporate the power without losing all of that contact ability. I don't think he's going to hit 320 and 20 homers or anything like that. But I think he comes down to maybe 285, 290 pops up to 15, 16 homers while still having a great runs and RBI total like he had last year, carried his season, 81 ribbies, 84 runs scored, and double-digit stolen bases. That team, that offense could be really good, and he could actually bump the runs and RBIs up to the 90s, maybe even uh, low hundreds for the runs scored, and you're talking about a superstar at that point. So I'm pretty high on Xander Bogarts, especially when you have to pay a bigger premium for the Correa, Seager, and Lindor trio all going ahead of him as well as Tulowitzki. And I would rather just wait till about uh, 68, 69th pick, which is nice, and, and pick nice. up Xander Bogarts. What do you think? I, I agree. I mean, when I'm look, when you were talking, I was just punching up some numbers. I'm like, let me take a peek at a few things. I mean, the Lindor is really a sore spot for me since I drafted him in tout and uh, cut him. Didn't get uh, the 99 games didn't of get, excellence. I, I didn't get a single at bat out of him. Not a single at bat. Uh, but when you look at it, again, you're paying a premium for him. He's being drafted in the top 60. You're paying a premium for Corey Seager, you know, who had who had a great 117 plate appearances for the Dodgers. But if you look down through the minor leagues, it's not a not like he put up huge numbers down there, but he's being drafted as a top 60 guy as a rookie. Uh, scary. Uh, it for is. Me, I scary agree. investment in Tulowitzki. You know, we've all been, we've all talked about how much we loathe drafting him. It's like, Oh God, he's there. Okay. It's we've fine. all drafted. Nobody, nobody targets him. Um, but again, you look at him last year, we're still waiting for, 
a 600 plate appearance season, you know, 203, 512, 375, 534 uh, last year is what he got. But you look at the overall numbers last year and um, no, it's not, he was a first round draft pick and uh, we know at least one team, um, uh, mixed labor drafted Tulowitzki in the first round and still won the league. Uh, well, but, didn't they go yeah. too low Hanley? They did and still win. So, folks, if you have if, if you're if you're quality in season management, you can you can uh, overcome duds in your early. But yeah, I have, I have no problem. I mean, Bogarts, there's a steal because there's a drop off. I and mean, clearly shortstop has been deep in the past. If you look at it like overall, I think baseball shortstop as a whole baseball shortstop is in a good really oh, good time in right a now. great growth position because Korea Korea Seeger Lindor Bogarts uh Brandon Crawford's you know emerging those Turner, kind of things Trey Turner's Ketel coming Marte. up Kevin Marte right um, so nice like nice growth D- Desmond but there's a drop a little after bit. the after that top five if you don't get so in, through so the first six rounds if you don't get a shortstop in the first six rounds you can let it go for another five rounds you're right uh, if you want because it's still going to be there. Because if we look at the current uh, the current ADP data, we got the top five. Then 50 picks later, 40 picks later, we've got Desmond. Then 40 picks later, we've got Elvis Andrus. We've got um, Jose Reyes. We've got Crawford another round or two later. Segura. So there is, you know, there is a tier if you are a believer in position sca- uh, scarcity, which I'm not. But if we just look at what's what's here. If you look at it, you can comfortably wait because everybody else will start reaching for guys. Whereas if you don't get in the top five, there is depth at this position. I mean, if you're if you're still a believer in Brad Miller's upside, he's down there at 276. I was going to bring him up and Marcus Semyon. They're both going 250 or later, and they're double-double guys, which is 10, 10 plus homers and stolen bases. Yeah. Honestly, like you say, if, if I don't get into the Bogarts and above tier, those first five guys, I am going to wait because I will take a Marcus Simeon uh, – you know, light years after, not light years, it's only 50 picks, but there's what, Jed Lowry still down there at 299 with multi-position eligibility. <laughs> and and I will take, I will take him over somebody like a Gene Segura um, or even a Jose Reyes, who's dealing with a domestic issue of his own off the field that could cause him a suspension. So, you know, he, he's, he's a, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll spare that, but uh, you know, you even got Johnny Peralta down there. Who's going to be hitting you mid teens, maybe low twenties homers for the 254th pick. There is some depth to shortstop. Like you're saying, it's a, it's in a good spot at, overall as a position in the majors. And I'm still not ready to completely give up on Angelton Simmons. Now I may be more alone oh, on that one. I understand. <laughs> I understand. You are, you are on an Island there, son, <laughs> but 355th pick, I pay nothing. I take a shot. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So I wouldn't want him as my primary shortstop, but as a middle, uh, middle infield or something like that, that might work. Who's your second uh, top pick that you like? Another, another one that you like? Uh, it's out of the top 100, but Kendris Morales is at 150. And Honestly, what, what's changed? What's nothing. changed for them? Thank you. And, and the thing, it can it only get better. I mean, when you look at the lineup, the way they have their lineup projected right now is Escobar, Mustakas, Kane, Hosmer in front of Morales with Perez behind them. Um, I, I still maintain that this is where Dexter Fowler is going to end up. And Dexter Fowler, if he ends up here, is going to hit in the top of the lineup. So you can bump, you know, bump Escobar down to the bottom where he belongs and let let Fowler set the table. Hey, here. man, Escobar, first pitch fastball, they automatically win, right? Oh, every time. Uh, but yeah, it. this is this is where I'm at. This lineup could only get better. 
And yes, they lost Alex Gordon. It's not like they got a terrific year out of him this last year. And he, you know, Morales still drove in, still drove in all the 106 runs that he did. Even in, and there wasn't a big bump in home run to fly ball. Uh, yeah, there's no correction coming there. There wasn't a big uh, batting average and balls in play correction that may be coming. No. Skills are stable, and he's going at 150 again because you don't like filling your utility spot. But I'd rather have him than Ortiz in his final season. Here's the thing, and you can get him. You can get him four rounds later. I've been talking a lot about this uh, already coming into the season because you mentioned it now a few times. Because when we we're talking about JSO, folks that you know have an aversion of kind of filling up their DH, get over it or utility, however you want to call it, uh, because there are several guys who are DH utility only this year, and a lot of them are high-quality guys. So you might have to just suck it up and do it, or you're going to skip out on Prince Fielder, David Ortiz, Kendris Morales, Miguel Sano, even like an Evan Gaddis. I understand that uh, the sexiness was that he was a catcher, but you're still talking about mid-20s, maybe low-30s homers. A-Rod, Victor Martinez, and then another tier uh, lower of guys like Kenny's Vargas, Billy Butler, Jerickson Profar, John Jay, so Jimmy Paredes, deeper league uh, kind of considerations. But there's a lot of guys this year who only have that utility only. So don't get so freaked out by it. Morales, I agree with you. Pick 150. These skills, That the only reason he's going that low is because of the DH only. Because uh, otherwise you're talking about somebody who got right back on track from where he'd been um, in all of his good years. 2014 was a lost year, but there was a pretty darn good reason behind it. He missed, you know, didn't sign until what, like May or something, and never yeah. really got on track. I, he had the he had the, uh, the the qualifying, qualifying offer. offer. I think you can excuse that. I, I don't think that's right. making up something to kind of uh, explain it. I think it's a clear explanation. So I'm with you on Morales. That's a good that's a good call out there. My next one is uh, Carlos Carrasco. He's get drafted 53rd, but the the real key here. So you're not that's not really cheap or anything, but he's the 18th starting pitcher off the board, ridiculous. and that's ridiculous. And at the same time, understandable because I look at the 17 ahead of him, and I don't have any major quibbles. There are certain guys I would prefer Carrasco over, but I don't look at it and say, oh, how is his teammate, Corey Kluber, ahead of him, or Noah Syndergaard, or Archer, or Felix Hernandez, or Strasburg. Y you don't make that case, but it's the no. depth of starting pitching. So if I don't get in on those super-duper studs at the very top, and you know I want to go pitching, or excuse me, I want to go hitting with my first three rounds, then I can come around in the fourth, fifth round and get somebody like a Carrasco. So I really like his price there as the 18th starting pitcher off the board uh, as a fourth-round pick. What do you think of him next year? If, if it goes back to the, the Carrasco or Archer argument that we had at first pitch, not That's that right. we, it was in the room. And I said, I want, I want Carlos Carrasco and surprising people. Cause they're like, Oh, they, they Jason figured you would Archer. automatically take the Ray. And I said, no, but I mean, there's two different, the spot, the ADP difference between these guys is two, two, two spots, 50 for Archer and 53 for Carrasco. So, you know, it's, it's picking nits um, if, if you want to. So no, I, you know, there is plenty of depth at this position, which is when you look at it, you know, first round Kershaw is going in the first in a 15 team mixed, which is typically what these NFBC drafts are. Scherzer is also going in the first round. Uh, then you've got you've got four pitchers or no, uh, six that are going in the first round uh, as people are taking. And then if we look at by the time we get to Carrasco again, fourth round pick, six, so maybe six, somebody's two, six in the first two rounds you meant by pick 30. Because uh, yes. Arietta, Sale, Granky, Bumgarner are all, on average, getting into that right. second round with Fernandez, Harvey, Price, Cole, 
DeGrom all right on the cusp there. Love love Carrasco because he's got three pitches. All of them have positive run values. You saw rumors about the Indians trying to – I have no idea why they would be trying to trade Carlos Carrasco. They would Carrasco. have to None. get such I think a there's man. more – there's more growth here. If you want to look at – if you look at Archer 2014 to 2015, that's what I think is possible with Carrasco this Bingo. year. Bingo. Bingo. You know, same kind of skills, but then uh, maybe his sequencing's a little bit better. And honestly, I think Carrasco could sh- could shave a full run off of his 360 right. so, ERA. So let's, let, let's try to make this commitment early. So in the past – you and I and various podcasts have kind of hung our hat on a single pitcher. And we've said, you know what, this is going to be the guy that's going to do it. I think a couple of years ago, we were both on the Homer Bailey train. Yes. And then last year we were like, you know, Drew Hutchison, I mean, this is, this is, this is the guy that he's going to take don't that step. Bring that up. We weren't supposed to talk about that. Sorry. I don't think can anybody we, can remember. We make, can we make the unanimous commitment that Carlos Carrasco is our 2016 AL Cy Young candidate? I'm I'm a hundred percent on that. Okay, let's do it. Well, we'll still have to come up with some of the sleeper types, but in terms of our of our ace, uh, our our big guy, I'm I'm 100% with you on that. I was Love thinking about it this morning because I, you know, as I was as I'm making my 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 plans for the spring, I was booking my my second trip to New York for the uh, the auction. I go up there and run the auction here, and they always give me a hard time because I'm recommending I recommended Bailey, and and the guy was like, oh, you know, that was terrible, and I was recommending Hutchison to people last year, and that didn't work out. So I'm like, who am I gonna? Who, who am I going to recommend that's going to completely bomb this year? Let's just like, no. This year I'm going to get it right. Third time's a charm, and I was thinking, you know what? When you had Carrasco listed, I'm like, good. This is exactly who I was thinking of because of you know all the research we um, did uh, to prepare for the argument in Arizona. And I was like, it's all here. It's it's right there on the cusp. It's ready for him to do it as long as you know maybe Cleveland get a little better. Um, but I think. That that jump up, that Archer jump that uh, Chris had last year, I think it's it's Carrasco's turn this year. That's a great point. All right, let's move in to a little bit more of the negative realm and uh, talk about some prices that we don't like. Now, here's the thing with these, and I'm going to make it clear, and it's it's, it's not going to work. People are still going to interpret it wrong, but not liking the price is not equivalent to not liking the profile. Now, in some instances, I don't like the profile no matter what the cost is. But for these two guys who I'm, I'm down on, it is, for me, particularly price-related. I just don't want to pay the price for it. I don't, I don't think they suck or anything like that. So let's not get too crazy with it. But let's talk about a couple of the guys whose price that we don't like early on. Who's your first one? Um, you mentioned earlier Jake Arrieta going 19th overall. With the, with the depth of starting pitching that's there. Can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, he had a historic second half, and there's nowhere to go but down from there. And if you look at what those that stretch he had from June um, through the end of September until he imploded in the playoffs, there, you know, that was just, that's historic. That's not repeatable. I can't take him. I can't take him ahead of the guys. You know, Sale, Granky, Bumgarner, Fernandez. There's just too much depth of starting pitching to be paying top of the second round pricing for Arietta coming off the area head. And I love Jake Arietta. Exactly. I love watching pitch, but no. It's a perfect encapsulation of what I'm talking about where we like the guy. I just can't pay that price for for whatever reason. You know, you look at what happened to Kluber last year. The skills remained rock solid, uh, maybe even got a, a tick better here and there. And he added a run uh, to his ERA from 244 to 349. That just – that happens. Poor sequencing. He had the bad win-loss record thanks in large part to, to some of that bad luck that he had, 9-16. and 16. 
that could happen to Arietta. He could keep the 27% strikeout rate and the 6% walk rate, but he's not going to keep the 80% left on base rate. And, you know, the batting average on balls in play could tick up 246 last year. He's on a 272 career. So he's a guy who can get good batting average on balls in play for his career, but 272 and 246, that's a, there's a lot of jump in there. So if, even if he goes back to his career mark, Again, could add a run, run and a half to his ERA. It wouldn't be a bad season, but you don't want to pay the 19th pick for that. I agree with you on that one, and let's dive into mine. It's Miguel Sano. I mentioned DH only, guys. Uh, he is one of them. He's listed under the third baseman, but he does not qualify there in standard leagues that require 20 games at third base. So he is DH only, which is a big part of my issue. He costs 61st. Uh, the 61st pick. But not only that, I don't think this is a rock-solid, guaranteed profile that's going to have success. I'm talking about a 36% strikeout rate and a 396 batting average on balls in play. He needed that obscene balls on play to have a 269 batting average. So his batting average wasn't even that good despite the amazing batting average on balls in play. And I can uh, easily picture a scenario where that comes way down because he has such swing and miss. The power is there. There's no denying that. Nobody's been denying that at any point in his career. So, yes, you can probably put him down, I'd say, for even even on a bad year, uh, short of getting demoted. If he plays all year, I think you put him down for 25 bombs pretty easily. That That's even if things don't go well. He hits 219 or something. But I just don't see a ton of upside here um, with the batting average piece. And so, you know, unless he is Chris Davising it and, and somehow hitting 275 with 50 homers and an obscene strikeout rate, I think there's going to be some more growing pains for Sano. So I'm not ready to pay such a high price for him. Where do you stand on the 23-year-old uh, for Minnesota? I took him with the 43rd overall pick okay. in, the, in the aforementioned fantasy 411. But I'll preface this by saying, you know, what I did in that, if go back for context, I took Kershaw in round one, and then in round two I took Encarnacion, and then in round three I took Kane. And so my my defense of the pick is like when you take a pitcher in the first round, you have to make up for power numbers quickly. Understand. Even after coming off a 2015 season where homers did make a bounce back and power numbers are still necessary. So I'm taking him in the top 50. He had 33 bombs and drove in 100 between AAA and the bigs last year. He sure he struck out a ton, but he still took his walks as well. Steamer has him projected in the top six for home runs in 2016 and the top eight for runs driven in. Um, so looking at, at the need. That's why I went with him. For those of you that like when we disagree, there you go. That's a pretty sharp disagreement. Not only did Jason uh, like him, but he liked him at a price higher than the one that I don't like. So we'll see how that yeah, one turns out. Yeah, and it's – I mean I admit that taking him in the top 50 is not a comfort level, but where that draft was going because people – when I looked at the talent pool, like Frazier went like two picks after him. Schwarber went three picks after him. So I was like, okay, if Kyle Schwarber can go in the top 50, then so can Sano. And, and that I will agree with. If you're going to take one – you know, those two should kind of be paired together. Although Schwarber, you can give him maybe uh, a little bit of the edge with that catcher oh, catcher yeah you know he that, that, that definitely helps game. but you know you're looking at at a chris davis kind of model here for miguel sano so it isn't out of the realm of possibilities that he can maintain it a decent enough batting average with the big strikeout rate the power is really what you're looking for i know that you're thinking maybe you could get 40 bombs and that is realistic so i get it it's just not a price i'm willing to put pay on sano who's your second uh, price that you're a little bit uncomfortable with I'm uncomfortable with it because 
this is ridiculously low for him. Um, Jonathan Scope is at 263. Hey, that's my dude. This is, this is stupid, stupid, stupid low because Jonathan Scope, if you've watched him play, he has 20-plus home run potential on his bat. He had 15 last year in 321 plate appearances. Uh, he had 16 in 481. He's still young. I mean, Jonathan Scope is 24 years old. He had an ISO jump from 145 to two, uh, 203 last year. So but if you watch him, he has – when he makes contact, it's hard. And I think there, I think there's a sleeper 20 to 25 home runs in that bat this year, and he's going for next to nothing. I, I 100% agree with you there. This is one of my absolutely favorite uh, late picks. He's going to be somebody that I try to get on. You know, I mentioned Anderson Simmons maybe sliding him into the middle infield uh, late in the league. Not if I don't have uh, – not, not if Scope isn't already on the club. You know, I, I mean, when I look at and I mean, when we look at it, if we're trying to find his value right now, he is going – Twenty-first second baseman off the board because that's where his eligibility is. Mm-hmm. Behind Joe Panic, uh, behind Javier Baez, we don't know where he's going to play. So it, it, this is getting back. We talked about the shortstop depth chart. You know, second base is kind of the same thing. Second base is a, a few more names at the top, and then you know, I would I would start taking a, a second second baseman as my middle infielder before I would do that at shortstop. But all the way down at 21st is Jonathan Scope. If I if I need late cheap power, and that's where you can win a lot of these things. If you can find the power numbers cheap late, this guy's going to be sitting out there. Hundred percent in dollar days. This is a guy you'll hear me talk about a lot more during the the off season here. I've already written him up a couple of times. Put up a piece about his big second half at Fangraphs uh, under the Rotographs blog. So I, I'm 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 very keen on Scope. We'll mention you know the strikeout walk ratios haven't been very oh, good. It- 25% and 3% respectively, but his career in the minors suggests that this is something that can definitely improve for him. He had a 16% strikeout rate in the minors and an 8% walk rate. So, I mean, he's a far, he's, he's way off of what he did in the minors. So I think as he kind of gets more comfortable and, and gets some more reps under his belt, those numbers are, numbers will start to come down. I don't necessarily think he's going to reach the minor league ones, but even if you're talking like a 6% walk rate and a 20% strikeout rate, those are sharp differences to what he's done so far and could really enhance uh, his value. I'm very big on scope. That's a good one. I like your tack that you took with it too, that it was a dislike, not because you wouldn't pay it, but because it's way too low. This is too low. Now for, for again, 20 home run power, You've got to really make a strong case to, for for me to say a, a guy being picked outside of the top 250 that can hit 20 home runs is is he's there for a reason. You know, why is that guy down there? Oh, because of this, you know, make a strong case. But a 24 year old that sh- that shows the power that this guy has. And I think there's more to it. You know, this is this is this is criminal. I got a little uh, inside info and I don't think I'll get in trouble for sharing this or anything, but I'm building it up as if it's something special. It's really not. But the initial run of the Baseball HQ forecaster uh, projections originally had him for 35 bombs when they, when, they, when they first had it. And they they tamped it down. The the, the book that, that you folks will be able to get, buy will only show a 22 homer projection. But their projection system really liked him. It's not like they manually went in there and just did it. They, they it, it spit that out, and they kind of, you know, I'm sure they looked at it and said, hmm, that's 
maybe a little bit too and let's high think, here. And let's think this is typically a projection system that does not like free swingers. Exactly. That's what really stood out to me and, and is generally conservative overall, like most projection systems. So for that to even get spit out as a, a, a potential was eye-opening. And 22 as, as the projection that's still in the book is going to jump out to people. So I do think that's going to rob us of some of our scope value. The, the folks that pay attention to the forecaster and get it and incorporate that, it might bump them up. But even if you bump them up six spots at his position to 15th, that's where Logan Forsyth is. That's the 205th pick overall. I'm still all over that. I still think that's a great I'll still value. I'll take scope over Forsyth any day. Again, getting back to the, oh, it's a Ray guy. Why are you saying that? I've, you know, I've, I've talked about uh, where I thought that for a lot of Forsyth's growth in 2015 came from a lot of soft contact that found grass or found what looks like grass. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A lot of that, a lot of that kind of stuff and a, and a really big jump and improvement against right-handed pitching, which has historically been trouble for him. Uh, exactly. So when a guy has that kind of a big bounce, I expect, you know, what goes up must come down. I wonder if the, if the system was looking at that 2002 season from Soriano where he hit 39 bombs uh, with a 3% walk rate and 21% strikeout rate. Soriano. Oh man. I was a huge Soriano fan. And it, it was like, in the throes of my Yankee hatred, now I'm just like, I don't really care about the Yankees. But it was so difficult to uh, be such a huge fan of, of one of their players. But how could you not like what Soriano was doing out there? The high Especially socks. Th- I love I loved the 2006 season when the Rangers had to move him to the Nationals. He pulled off a 40-40 and hit 40. 300. Or hit 277. <laughs> it was so awesome. Yeah, I had a lot. And he came, he, that 2002, he hit one home run shy of having two 40-40 seasons. Unbelievable. Just, just a, a really And he had two 30-30 seasons. So he almost had two 30-30 and two 40-40 seasons in his peak. And hell. Um, then he stopped running. <laughs> well, until his second to last season of his career when he went 34-18 for no well, people good had reason. Him for like a, people had him for like $3. Oh, yeah, because uh, he was he, – and then he got traded midseason, so he became back to the Yankees, and he became a big catalyst for AL-only teams because all of a sudden yep. he popped 17 homers in 58 games. Yeah, I'm a big Soriano fan, so I could talk about him all day. But that <laughs> that's going to wrap us up here. I think we gave him a nice uh, end of 2015 episode. I, I don't know, like, I, I don't really have a way that we would do, like, a, a, a review of the year sort of thing. So I, I prefer just doing a regular episode for the last one of the year. If you want to yes. review the year of 2015, go download the episodes and re-listen to them. Like, I don't know why you'd want to listen to an episode Find from Find our best June. and worst advice, please. Yeah, I mean, Drew Hutchison, Shane Green, I mean, we, we, we got it. We, oh, we had to do it. We had to do a few good calls. No, we did. We did. But nobody wants to talk about those. Let's talk about the crappy ones. I, I'm not I'm not even <laughs> mad. I'm not I'm not worried about it. Those were those were good. those were ugly, ugly calls last year. But we just gave you Carlos Carrasco going to win the AL side. We're going to hit you with Jonathan Scope popping 20 plus bombs. We're giving you tips left and right. And it's just beginning. Once the calendar turns over to the new year, we'll get back on a more normal schedule several times a week with Eno, Jason and myself. Jason, you and I will talk again. I don't know when. Not not this upcoming Sunday, but probably sometime. Yeah. Uh, shortly thereafter. Let's let's say no later than the tenth that you and I will be back together. Eno and I will be back sometime next week. Until then, take care. Happy New Year, folks.